getting six-pack abs is simple. No, I am not about to sell you some weight loss marketing product. But getting six-pack abs is actually simple. I mean, it's relative, but it is simple. It essentially boils down to three key ingredients, diet, exercise, and discipline. All three of these aspects are trackable. You can use an app like MyFitnessPal to track your calories and food macros. You can watch Ab Blaster videos or set a sit-up goal for yourself. And as long as you stick to your plan, results should materialize after enough time. If this certainty exists, assuming you take the right steps though, why in the world don't we all have abs? Well, because it's hard. <laughs> Goals take discipline and discipline takes focus. Ironically, finding certainty in marketing is not as straightforward as getting six-pack abs. Unlike working out, the methods with which to achieve your ideal marketing body changes almost monthly. There are tried and true tactics that can move the needle, but ultimately finding the perfect technique that you can always fall back on is the promotional golden goose. Oh, and you're also going to need that discipline and focus. Someone who is vastly experienced in this is Megan Keeney Anderson, the CMO of the Wanderlust Group. At the time of our interview, she was at the end of a nearly 10-year stay heading up the marketing department over at HubSpot. So needless to say, she knows a thing or two about marketing brawn. While certainty isn't guaranteed, Megan's wisdom and expertise will help push you in the right direction. All of that and more coming up next. From ProfitWell Recur, it's Protect the Hustle, where we explore the truth behind the strategy and tactics of B2B SaaS growth to make you an outstanding operator. On today's episode, Megan Keeney Anderson dives deep on marketing. We talk about creating content with desirable value, which marketing metrics make the most sense, surviving the no-exit situation, and finding comfort in uncertainty. Yeah, so I'm Megan Keeney-Anderson, VP of Marketing at HubSpot. And HubSpot is really a, a platform for all of your front office needs, your marketing, your sales, your customer service operations. And our goal is really to help companies grow in a way that's more customer friendly, that is more permission-based and a little bit less of a hassle for the people actually going through that process. Yeah. And I've been at HubSpot for about seven years. I run kind of a mishmash of teams there. I run our product marketing team, which is responsible for all the product launches. I also run our content strategy, blogs, podcast, the whole gamut. That's a lot for yeah. HubSpot <laughs> specifically. because. I mean, if you look at any uh, third-party like traffic estimators, you guys are pushing a lot of traffic, you know, to your site, which is really cool. Yeah, I mean, the whole company was sort of founded on this notion that if you create something of value, people will come to you, and so we've been our own test of that, and we've gone through, you know, various waves and motions with that over the years, and changed our strategy a bunch, but content and you know subject matter of interest is, is still is kind of at the heart of what we do. If we think about or go deep on like content, right? So. You know, we love content, you know, ourselves, yeah. and, but a lot of people, especially in kind of the, you know, they're doing well and they're trying to go to the next level and they know content's important, but they kind of just have like someone maintaining a blog, which is totally fine, right? But, but content's more than just a blog, right? So I'm curious, like, what's your kind of definition of content? What's your framework or how do you look at content marketing? Yeah, so it is funny because I think people look at content and they're like, oh, we'll check a box. We'll throw a blog up. We'll do some eBooks. We'll, you know... We'll follow that playbook. But the fascinating thing is 
the way that people are consuming content has fundamentally changed over the last two years, let alone the last like five to 10 years. And so your content strategy has to sort of mirror that change, mirror that human behavior. Well, it means a lot of things, but kind of put in a pithy way, it means broadening out to different formats, yeah. thinking about video and audio, and also it brought, means broadening out to offsite content. A lot of companies sort of treat social media and platforms like Medium as sort of pass-through channels back to their website, when in reality, the way those algorithms work is they're designed to keep people on those social sites today. That wasn't always true. It's true today. So you have to start to think about, you know, what is your offsite content strategy and how do you glean value out of that, knowing that they will never kind of come back to your website. I think that the way we've thought about our content strategy has really evolved over the years, but it continues to be a, a life force for sure. how we reach people and how we engage them. That's cool. Yeah. And if we go a little bit deeper on like the structure, right? Because you have one of the bigger content teams out there probably, yeah, right? Lucky. Like if, if we're really like yeah. indexing, you guys are probably at the top, right? And, and when you think about like building out a content team, obviously you want to do it for the right reasons. You know, if you want to like have someone manage medium, if you have like social, which might not be under content, might be under demand gen, but sometimes yeah. ebbs and flows. How do you build out that team in the right way? Like let's say we have a couple of bloggers, a couple of writers, and now we want to like go all in on content. Yeah. What's the order of operations to build out that team? Like anything else, you've got to know why you're building it, sure. you know, what the problem is you're trying to solve. A lot of people when they're starting out with content, it's because they need to get found. They need people to know that they exist. And so for those people, I think the, the building blocks of SEO and, and starting a blog on your website, I think is still very fundamental and, sure. and very much works. The rules of SEO have changed a little bit, but I would still start with hiring top-notch writers to start to build a collection of content on your site. Sure. And once you have that kind of like up and operational and you're optimizing it, you've got the right mix of topics for your audience, then I'd start to think about layering in different types of multimedia. I think, you know, video has been huge for us over the years and also is a big currency of how people communicate online today. And so, you know, you don't need to have exceptional video skills, but I think, you know, taking some classes from Wistia or other video providers online can get you pretty skilled up for a starting point. And then that will help you bridge into some of the off-site platforms, which are very much video driven. I think that core to any aspect of the team you're going to build out, you're going to need to have people who are fluent in data and who understand why they're creating the content they're creating, how to test content, how to make sure that you're getting the most value out of it. Because it is, it's affordable in that it doesn't cost like ads do, but it is expensive in terms of time. Sure. And so you want to make sure that you're not just arbitrarily creating content, that everything that you do is very deliberate and you know what you're going to get out of it. What's the, the primary key? And what I mean by that is, is it like the destination or is it the blog and the medium blog and this, or is it more the email list? Like what's the main focus? Is it kind of like we're optimizing around this destination, which is a blog or a medium blog or maybe a social channel, et cetera? Or is it more like we just want to give this email list in this segment the right stuff? And I'm sure there's a little bit of both, but if we're trying to communicate to someone who's really trying to scale a content team, yeah. that requires some sort of metric, some sort of focus. Yeah. And just doing like visits from content may work, but not all visits are equal and yeah, all that kind of stuff. Definitely. 
again, I think a huge mistake that people make is they conflate multiple content strategies into one. So you find they're like, oh, well, we do social and we have a blog and we want views all across the board, but they don't know why they're getting those views. And so if you're starting with a blog, then clearly your focus is attract people through search, specifically Google, to your site for some sort of a conversion. So if they find your content, then the next step is how do you get them to raise their hand for something? Take a class, download a piece of content, talk to your sales team, you know, start a conversation on messenger chat or what have you. That's that motion, right? People are actively searching to a piece of content to a conversion point. And you can measure that all along the way. But that's not the only kind of content strategy out there, right? I mean, people who are discovering you on Medium or Instagram or Twitter, that is a much more passive kind of content consumption. And so there's a difference between building a content strategy for active searchers and building a content strategy for passive discovery. And the content that works on one does not work on the other. And the goals that work for one do not work on the other. So, you know, when you're looking at the more passive discovery-based content on social, you're looking for things like engagement. How much does this spread? How does this expand? It's much of a brand-style content strategy. So how many people can we reach with this idea? Regardless of the click-through or the conversion off of that, that's just an entire different world from the website-based SEO-driven content. This is something we personally struggle with a bit as we're scaling content is when you set up your goals or your OKRs or whatever, however you guys are measuring things, and I know you're measuring things inside HubSpot, are you looking at like a final number that's kind of assigned or negotiated so-and-so in between? And then you're looking at, okay, I'm handling my top of the funnel or all through the entire funnel, and I'm, okay, I think this, we're gonna get this much for medium, we're gonna get this much for here, then we're gonna have these offers down here, and then social's gonna come in. Like, is that kind of how you think about it? You like chunk everything down, or is it more, we have an experiment with Medium, we think it's gonna bring us something, and then all of a sudden we find out, like, oh, this metric, it didn't get us to our metric, but now we're gonna have a metric for that. Like, how do you think about that? My team was just talking with someone from the Atlantic, actually, about this. They do this whole growth editor camp around how do you actually optimize all of your content strategy and how do you measure it all? And I think that the truth is, honestly, Patrick, it's gotten harder to measure this stuff in a cohesive way because the metrics are all different, right? So we measure our on-site organic content strategy one way. We can measure that all the way down to customers generated because that's a nice clean line. And then we have a different set of metrics, reach, engagement, influencer connections for all of our off-site content because it's harder to connect that in a clear dotted line down to the customer base. Now, that being said, I remember a time when you couldn't measure how many customers you got off of Twitter, for example. That's totally different today. We can can tell you exactly how many customers we got off of Twitter last year. So I think that the technology and the metrics will probably catch up to behavior, but having a be-all, end-all, single metric for this stuff, even across social platforms, a view on Facebook is different than a view on YouTube, you know, and the value there is different. So what we end up having is a collection of different metrics that that we've chosen for each of the channels and platforms that we think is the best assessment of how strong our content is there. So it it varies. So it's kind of like classic, we have the org content, 
breaks down into like on-site, off-site. Yeah. And I'm sure that stratifies down into a bunch of different things. And, I, and I'm sure that's kind of how the team is structured, I, I presume as well, that's right? That's right, yep, yeah. yep. And so we've, we've kind of built it out that way. And again, if you're kind of building a content operation from scratch, I would start with the on-site stuff because it is more measurable and it's less of a risk. Yeah. You don't want to not have any sort of a social presence, but I think you want to get more sophisticated over time with your off-site strategy. You, when you look at all of the different things in, your, in the content org at HubSpot, which is probably too vast for us to even talk about in a six-hour interview, but when you look at all of the different things, like what's been your favorite or like your favorite right now? Yeah. And, and that could be because it's awesome or you're just super curious about it or it's a personal favorite. Like what is like your passion, like one piece right now? I think this is one of the most exciting times for content. Honestly, yeah. I say without any sort of, you know, aggrandizing statements sure. because everything is shifting. So I have no idea what I'm doing right now. Nice. And that is the best. And, and because we're, we're figuring it out, right? And, yeah. you know, I think that if you look, the entire fabric of the internet has changed. Yeah. So the lion's share, 86% of internet activity is happening on mobile devices right now. And the lion's share of that activity is happening not in the open web, not sort of searching for things, but in apps. And four out of those five apps are owned by Facebook. And so when you look at all of the traffic and just sheer activity online, it used to be this sort of wide open game of, you know, of a mix of, of search and direct traffic and what have you. And now it's like social and Facebook have become a much bigger piece of that. And that piece is the hardest to measure. And that piece is typically happening offsite. And that piece is hard to tie back to your bottom line. And so that makes things really foreign for the first time in a while. Yeah. Now, it's not to say that Google is going away by any means. Google is obviously just as massive. But what we're looking at today is an internet that is predominantly filtered through three main players, yeah. Facebook, Google, and Amazon. And maybe there's a little bit of like other stuff mixed in there, but that's a very different rule book than the internet that I grew up with and the internet that I started my career in. And so if you keep operating under the same assumptions and the same playbook as you did in 2011, 2012, you're gonna fall behind. We have sort of our core engine going, but we're doing a lot of experimentation right now to figure out what that new playbook looks like. And that is exciting to me. What's kind of cool is the way that I've kind of thought about it. It sounds a little heartless and a little terrible, but like it helps like center everything is those three players, what's going to make them the most money? Yeah. Like literally, no, like exactly what's right. going to make them the most money? So even when you're thinking about basic SEO, well, a fast site, you know, something that can be found quickly, something that's optimized, like classic like SEO, like if you're optimizing for that, there's a bunch of little stuff you can do that every little tactic and playbook tells you to do, but like that's the core, right? Amazon, what's going to bring them the most money? Like, and if you just ride that wave or ride that like momentum, you could ride, ride on top of it in your like own small way in certain cases. Yeah. So one thing that you've been talking about, there was a lull, mm -hmm. you know, especially with all this transitioning. Like, what happened there? What was that all about? HubSpot has had a very strong, great history of building up traffic on our blog, on our on-site properties through content. I mean, literally like hockey stick growth yeah. in terms of views. And right around 2017, like the middle of 2017, I was in charge of the content strategy. Yeah. I had my whole team and like we had a slow month yeah. and we're like, oh, it's a fluke. 
Yeah. We'll be fine. We'll pass. Seasonal. We have yeah. it in the summer. Everything's seasonal. Yeah, totally right. Now, yeah. Then another month passed by and another month and we were like, oh my God, this isn't a fluke. This is a plateau. This is getting scary. And so, you know, everybody panic and break. And then the funniest thing happened. SEO Moz released their traffic numbers and they were in a plateau. Buffer. They wrote a post that said their referrals from social media had cut in half in 2017, I think it was. WordPress released numbers of every blog on their platform, not just them, all plateaued. So all of a sudden you're looking around and you're like, oh my God, it's not me. You take that moment and you move from panic and sort of this is it for me to just fascination and energy around like what is happening yeah. to content right how now. How do we play in it now? Yeah. yeah, a number of things were happening. Part of what was happening was there is a balance shift where social and Facebook was now taking up more and more of the time spent online and they had shifted a lot of their priorities to not be a pass-through channel anymore. To You talk about you know playing to the algorithm. They favored native content live streaming, videos that lived on the site, that was what was getting surfaced. Instagram, you got enormously popular, you couldn't click off Instagram to save your life, you stay in there. Twitter, nobody clicks through on Twitter anymore. So social was starting turning into this, I call it a cul-de-sac, basically instead of a pass-through, like it was a no-exit situation. And at the same time, Google had started to make a lot of changes. They introduced snippets. Yeah. One in three searches came out with a quick answer box and they moved their ads from the side to the top. And so there were a lot of kind of changes happening in the algorithms at the same time that these big players, Facebook, Amazon, Google, were becoming the way that people discovered content yeah. that was having some like, you know, leveling off effect. And so when we realized that, we spent a lot of time like studying those algorithms, yeah. experimenting with what does work on these channels. How do you get into a snippet on Google and what does that actually mean for your click through and those sorts yeah. of things. And you know, figured it out. And so 2017 was a rough year for content all around, but coming out of it, we've now, you know, had record-breaking months for the last three months and just passed a major milestone. And, you know, I think it goes to show that you can't rest on your laurels in this game. You have to understand that human behavior changes, the platforms that we live and breathe and, and operate on, they go through changes. And if you sleep on that, you lose track of it. Yeah. It's that old adage of like building on a platform, like don't build on a platform because they can take it away in an instant, but you kind of have to with these guys and gals. Right? Interesting, okay. To back up like a couple of questions that we ask everybody. Sure. What's one thing you struggled with in your career that you've overcome? So I think that one thing that I've struggled with and I've overcome in my career is just a comfort level with being uncertain and getting into a situation like having a traffic plateau for a couple of months and not letting it completely undermine your confidence and, and getting interested as opposed to scared. Yeah. And that is a factor of maturity and growth and getting knocked down a couple times and coming back and realizing that this life has a lot of twists and turns and there's another one coming around the bend. And so, yeah, that's just a factor of time. Yeah. I think that a lot of that too has, has come with learning to be more resourceful and talk to other people and learn what they're doing and understand, you know, when you feel like you have no leads, how to find that next hint as yeah. to what to do next. So that's been big. I think what I still struggle with, knowing when to scale up on something. I tend to be conservative. I grew up, you know, my parents were like penny pinchers and I think that I always try to do things on the cheap, to be honest. Like I'm hesitant to 
invest too quickly in things financially. I like being lean. Yeah. And so that can be really, really good. But it can also mean that you're slower at the jump for things. And money well spent is, you know, the best investment you can make. So I think that I've always had to push myself to say, no, this is a risk worth taking and we're going to put the money towards that. So thankfully, I have a lot of people on my team who like to spend money. And so they, they nudge me in that direction. Well, it's also kind of funny, too, because it's I mean, you think of HubSpot, like you're a public company, like yeah. you know, market cap's doing real well, like knock on wood. And yeah. so it's like it's not even that mindset. You still have to fight for a budget. Oh, like it's, totally. it's not just like, oh, cash is just sitting around. It's like one of those things where it's also the scale of your decisions are much bigger, right? So for you to go in and do a bet, it's not like a hundred bucks. Like we're talking, you know, tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of millions of dollars in some cases. And so that's cool. I do think, you know, there's a lot of discourse right now and I think it's right. And actually I was just talking with Dave Cancel and he yeah. said the same thing that we may have over focused on only doing things that you can measure and only investing in things that you can measure. Yeah. And so there is a little bit of a swing back now where people are starting to think about brand again. Sure. But I think when I first came into the marketing space, it was like, no, no, no. We do things based on a formula and we have projections. It's because we could measure it for the we could, first time. For the first time. And we got so excited about that. And we sort of like looked a little bit disparagingly on like just advertising and brand and yeah. all that stuff. And I am sensing right now there is an appetite for that kind of investment again. Yeah. The investment that you can't measure, that you do just because it feels right. Because I grew up in this era of always being able to measure everything, that's an uncomfortable place for me, but I think that there is some merit to it, especially as companies, you know, anybody can make the same product that you do, yeah. but a lot of companies right now are winning on, on brand and on a message that people can get behind. I think you need a mix of both. I think that you'll probably see more companies taking a risk on doing things I can't. When you think about like companies and you think about measurement and all this other stuff, there's still going to be some sort of measurement. I feel like almost like the reciprocals or the residuals or however you want to define it, like you talking about like medium, like you can't necessarily measure that exactly, right? Like you can't measure, oh, that one touch and then that touch and exactly. then that kind of stuff. But like there are going to be some things where it's like a very bottom line, like we know at least anecdotally that this brought us money That's or right. this brought us brand or someone mentioned it. Like there's some something you can measure, but it's not necessarily gonna be like $1 created $3 exactly. That's exactly right. And Medium is a great example of that. You know, we, we took an experiment on Medium, we put one person against it and that, like now it's the great. 18th, you know, most popular publication on Medium. And so it's right up with, you know, the startup and a bunch of others that we really respect and admire. And so, yeah, like, can we connect that to a customer in the door? Not exactly, but it has opened a lot of doors for us. Podcast is another example of that. You know, and the nice thing is the dollar value of what it takes to invest in something like a podcast, it's lower than it used to be. So you can, you know, it takes money to do it really well, but you can build to that. And I think you're probably in the same boat with a lot of the series that you run. There's a value to taking that risk. Totally. Thank you to Megan for dedicating her time to this interview. Now you can feel a bit better about uncertainty in marketing. Today, we talked about creating content with desirable value, which marketing metrics make the most sense, surviving the no exit situation, and finding comfort in uncertainty. Oh, and if you want to support ProfitWell in the show, we would appreciate it if you leave a five-star review of this podcast or the equivalent rating wherever you listen and watch. The podcast gods like those types of things, and frankly, we like to appease the podcast gods. Thanks for listening. Make sure to subscribe to and tell your friends about Protect the Hustle, a podcast from Profit Well Recur, 
the largest, fastest growing media network dedicated to the world of subscriptions. 